You are listening to Sheep Where It Flies, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. It is cold here in Tasmania. Normally when there is snow in the mountain, uh, no, well, normally when it rains, that means there's no snow on the mountain because the rain heats everything up, warms everything up enough that the snow melts. That's not what happened today. So we have rain and snow and it is so cold, just so very cold. I am huddling in a li- my library in the corner of the house. I have the heater on. I have blankets. It's not really making much of a dent. So if my teeth chatter, that's why. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter, chapter 13. Conspiracy is bad for the blood pressure. Conrad caught Dana before she reached the hatch. The gravity was softer than in the main dome, spongier underfoot, and it slowed her down. He was a zero-G athlete. He slammed into her back, one elbow crunching between her shoulder blades. Dana fought back, tucking and rolling, jabbing at his legs with her feet. She didn't think about drawing her stunner, not that he gave her time to do so. His head took her in the stomach, and she clawed the side of his face, struggling to be free of him. His arms were grappled hard around her waist, though, and when they hit the surface of the moon with only a slight bounce, Dana was underneath. For a man only a little taller than her, Conrad had a lot of muscle to him. He also had an arc ray beneath that soft civilian shirt of his, and he now drew it pointing the bead directly into her face. An arc ray, not a stunner. Lethal. Who sent you after us, Dana? No one sent me, she snarled, shifting her weight to see if there was any give in the hold he had her in. You know who I am. I know you convinced Planchet you're on the side of the angels. But if a burning comet promised that girl a spaceship to play with, she'd follow it like a puppy. Conrad breathed slowly, in and out, his hand steady on the arc ray. Who are you really, and why did you follow me? Who are you? Dana hissed. What the hell have you got yourself into? Whatever the three of you are doing here, it's hardcore treason. And you made me part of it. I didn't invite you he said incredulously. You made yourself part of this. He stared at her, as if he could read her intentions from extremely close eye contact. Whatever he saw, it made a difference. Conrad rolled off her and stood up, holstering the weapon, beneath the concealing swing of his royal blue coat. For the crown, he said, testing her as he had before. Everything I've done here tonight is in service to the crown. God help me. Could she honestly say the same? Had she followed him out of curiosity, jealousy, or genuine patriotism? Dana felt vaguely ashamed of herself. He was right. She'd invited herself into this mess. For the crown, she replied sullenly, always. Conrad held out a hand and helped her to her feet. Come and join the Royalist pity party. We have coffee.
As they walked back towards the dart, his fingers remained tangled in hers. She did not pull her hand away. Dubois and Chevreuse had made themselves comfortable on the surface of the moon beside the ship. Now she came to look more closely at it. Dana was not certain it was the morning star after all. There was a shimmer about the tail fin that made her wonder if another sight shield illusion was in play here. Could they do that? Make a ship tattoo look like another? If they could make a person invisible, why not? Speaking of invisible, there was no sign of the Duchess or the sight-shielded prince. Dubois sipped coffee from a thermos cup, and Chevreuse produced a pack of cards that she dealt in an elaborate pattern on the white rock beneath them. They both glanced up as Conrad and Dana approached. Absolutely, said Chevreuse, shifting from suspicious to sarcastic, with barely a second's pause. That's an excellent way to keep a low profile, Conrad. Bring a date. She was pregnant, with a large dome of a stomach visible as soon as you saw her at an angle. This is Dana d'Artagnan, said Conrad. She helped me get away from Special Agent Cho earlier, and she's a reliable backup. Aramis would vouch for her, they're friends. Both women raised their eyebrows at that, and Dana remembered she was looking at Aramis's current secret girlfriend, as well as her ex. Actual friends, Dana said, with more emphasis than was strictly necessary. Does she know you've got her ship? Pretty, isn't it? said Captain Dubois fondly. She touched a stud at her wrist. And the tail fin of the dart shimmered suddenly, the pattern shifting from stars and fleur-de-lis to a different image of sword hilts tangled in vines, with the silhouette of a mountain range high across the top of the fin. It was the tattoo from the Paris Riposte, Athos's ship. Don't do that, Dana growled. You're implicating them in whatever's going on here. Aramis owes me a favour. She can wear the inconvenience, said Dubois, her hand going back to the stud. Athos owes me nine, said Chevreuse. Leave it as it is. She surveyed Dana thoughtfully. You don't know why we're here. Would you prefer it to stay that way? That was a good question. Conrad's hand was warm in Dana's. She was well and truly compromised now, even without knowing what she was compromised about. I assume if you are merely conspiring against the Cardinal, or the Regents, or the Musketeers, you could do it somewhere more comfortable, Dana observed, waving a hand around the Mecca graveyard. Dubois laughed at that. Chevreuse wore a grim expression. Oh, for a warm tavern and a simple conspiracy. Dubois finished her coffee, eyeing up Dana like she was working something out. D'Artagnan, you said. I have heard of you. Dana fervently hoped that whatever the glamorous pilot had heard did not in any way involve a photo silk. You're taking the Duchess of Buckingham home, she blurted. To Valor. Isn't that right? Ten out of ten, said Dubois. An official assignment from the Crown, no less. I'm not the one breaking rules to be here. Well, mostly. 
she added with a slightly ashamed look at Chevreuse, who made a rude gesture in her direction. Coffee? And me, said Conrad, finally letting go of Dana's hand. Lots of sugar, Trace. It's been a long week. They both found seats on the pitted ground. Dubois handed around more coffee, while Chevreuse flipped cards back and forth in a game of her own devising. A simple mission, said Dubois. Buck has been playing diplomacy across the various continents of honour ever since the Grand Exile. Less of the Grand, said Chevreuse, screwing up her nose. Can we call it the Shit Exile? Captain Dubois here was given the job of taking our worthy ambassador back home. Now her term of service is up. Implied in that order, of course, was to make sure she bloody well went home by a direct route. Do not pass Luna Palais. Do not collect 200 credits. She gave Dubois a dirty look. Given how much of the well-being of the entire solar system relies on Buck getting home without being caught in the presence of His Royal Highness, the Prince Consort, Dubois continued, returning the dirty look with one of her own, we thought the best possible chance we had was for Chev to travel to Honour, meet Buck on the ground, and keep damned close to her for the entire trip, while Conrad stayed on Luna Palais, to prevent the prince from making contact. It was a workable plan, right up to the moment that I was abducted, and incommunicado for several days, groaned Conrad. Guess who took the opportunity to make a bunch of subspace messages to his family back on honour? It was his turn to shoot a dirty look, this time to Chevreuse. I don't know what the excuse at your end was. Chevreuse's eyes glittered dangerously. Forgive me for assuming Buck wasn't completely self-destructive. I won't make that mistake again. So many bad decisions, sighed Dubois, leaning her head back against her ship. And here we are, champions of the fucking solar system, with an emphasis on fucking. Dana looked from one to the other of them. Is that it? She was almost shocked at the simplicity of the explanation. Not some big political conspiracy. It's just an affair. All three of them groaned and shook their heads. Of course it's big and political, Chevreuse said. It's the prince freaking consort. It's technically treason, muttered Conrad. This would be the perfect excuse, explained Dubois, to get rid of Prince Alec at the very least. The cardinal has never been happy about the regents marrying an elemental new aristocrat. It could bring down the regents too. One of her brothers turns up at the right time, putting on a moral front in the face of her scandal. There had better not be a scandal, said Chevreuse. Oh, I hate this. I need to be at the palace doing my bloody job. That big-toothed hologram they hired to replace me will never save the regents from this catastrophe. He's in there with her right now, isn't he? Dana said carefully. She had figured that much out. Dubois's ship was the site of the dangerous liaison while the prince's friends sat outside and complained about it. I can't refuse his orders, Conrad explained. That's the curse of serving the crown. He sighed heavily. I brought him here under a sight shield. No one will know. 
we can do that much. Chevreuse is right. There doesn't have to be a scandal as long as, as long as they don't get it into their thick heads to elope. Chevreuse whispered, not even wanting to speak the words. That's what we're really here to prevent. There'll be no evidence that they spent the night together. Clearing up that kind of mess is what I do best. And as long as they go their separate ways, we're done. How do you make sure of it? Dana asked. I mean, is it enough that Dubois has her orders to get Buckingham home? Yeah, Dubois said, looking just as sick as the rest of them. Except that Buck is an ambassador. That gives her royal privilege. The flight contract specified she was not to be allowed to land on Luna Palais through any of the three docks, but she waved a hand around the barren landscape of the secondary dome. Loophole. Maybe they should give her your old job, Chev. She's sneaky. No one's given me orders to make sure the prince consort stays on the moon. If he chooses to leave, I can't stop him. I have to grit my teeth and fly the ship. Dana frowned. If all of you working together couldn't keep them apart, what on earth makes you think they won't keep trying to see each other? There was a long, painful pause. You need to find him someone else, Chevreuse told Conrad sternly. A nice, sporty mistress with a good rack and no political status. Which I told you six months ago. My job description does not include getting my boss laid, Conrad snapped back. Tonight suggests otherwise. Wouldn't that add up to more treason? Dana suggested. They all turned cynical expressions on her that made her feel about 12 years old. It wouldn't be so bad if it was anyone but Buck, said Conrad. Too political. She's not just aristocracy back on valour. If they get their referendum through to secede from the system, Buck is the prime candidate to be their first minister, maybe even their regents. She's elemental on top of it, so there's the religious shit in there too. Any hint of an alliance between Buck and Alec reads like a conspiracy, even if it is just two people who fancy the hell out of each other. Fancy, Chevreuse teased, mocking him. He leaned forward and punched her lightly on the arm. All we can do is hope they get it out of their systems tonight. Cheers to that, said Dubois, and they clinked coffee cups. There was no more talk of politics after that. They talked team joust mostly, with Chevreuse interrogating Conrad about the lamb who had replaced her in the Emerald Knights. Dubois joined in, knowledgeable about the sport, and Dana found herself able to follow most of the chatter thanks to the games she'd watched with Porthos. She was even able to contribute a comment or two when they discussed an upcoming Sankfoil game between Serpentin and the Mousers, which promised to be especially violent, thanks to an emotionally fraught team lineup. They no longer felt like conspirators who had failed to save their master from falling into the wrong bed. It was a gathering of friends. Dana found, to her great surprise, that Aramis, Porthos, and even Athos had trained her somehow over the last couple of months to make comfortable, friendly conversation. It was a skill that had eluded her back home on Gascon Station. Conrad slung an arm around her shoulder at one point, and she leaned against his shoulder, choosing to forget that he was married to her terrifying landlady.
it was nice. The hatch opened and their prince emerged, concealed beneath the sight shield again. He and Conrad made their farewells to Chevreuse, who tipped Dana a mocking salute, before she joined the Duchess of Buckingham inside the dart that still bore the same fin tattoo as the Paris Riposte. They were all equally relieved that the prince was parting from his lover. The alternative had been terrifying. Don't worry, said Dubois in a low voice to Dana, before she returned to her helm and harness. I've left a deliberate error or two in the illusion. If we've missed any security feeds and someone collects a screen grab, it'll be an obvious forgery. I wouldn't actually screw Athos over like that. You're so reassuring, Dana said dryly. She rather liked Dubois. In fact, Dubois said cheekily, and made an adjustment to her wrist. Her musket-class dart shimmered and took on an entirely different skin. Gold instead of pearly white, sprinkled with scarlet stars in a regimented pattern. The engines and fin looked a different shape, for all the world as if the dart was sabre class. That's a better look for you, Dana said with a laugh. Dubois winked and let herself into the ship. Conrad stood a little way away, having a polite argument with thin air. He broke off as Dana approached. This is Mecha Cadet D'Artagnan, he said. Extra security detail. There was a shift to the air as the prince turned towards her. The artificial scenery rippled a little, though he remained invisible. My thanks, Mecha Cadet. If Conrad trusts you, I am sure that I can do the same. Dana tried to look as official as possible. We should move, she said. The three of them made their way back through the Mecca graveyard and the tunnel that led to the main dome. Conrad led them through into the gardens of the palace. We should wait until we're closer to the living quarters, he said, before we... But the prince consort had already shrugged off the sight shield, as if sick of the deceit. Alec of Oster looked just like he did on the Holovision, only more dishevelled. Dane had only ever seen him in beautiful suits before, or team joust armour. Today he wore the trousers of a beautiful suit with a rumpled shirt over the top. Conrad rolled his eyes. Didn't you come out with a coat, your highness? He shrugged his own royal blue velvet garment off and threw it over the prince's shoulders. The prince accepted this as his due, strolling amiably along the paths. Gave it to a friend, he said carelessly, grinning at nothing in particular. If Dana had been in any doubt about what had been going on in that spaceship tonight, she would have known from that shit-eating grin. She dropped behind them both, playing the silent bodyguard. Conrad was furious. He carried it mostly in his shoulders, but it spilled over into his voice. That's all we need, he muttered. Never mind the paper trail of tonight's activities. You left a clothes trail as well. They walked along in silence for a moment. Which coat? Conrad suddenly asked, as if it had been weighing on his mind. The prince was drunk on happiness. 
You are not going to begrudge me a coat, my dear friend. I make all your coats, Conrad said impatiently. Each one takes weeks of design and is hand-printed as a one of it. Oh, no, never mind, doesn't matter. Whatever your highness needs. A pause as they circled the fountain of tranquillity, a majestic stone formation from the surface of the moon, which had been enhanced by sprays of artifice water, dancing in loops and rivulets. It was a common sight on the tourist posters of Luna Palais, though Dana had never seen it in person before. There was no time to do more than glance in its direction. Yes, it does matter, actually, exploded Conrad on the verge of being extremely rude to his prince. His exhaustion from the days of captivity frayed his diplomacy. What were you thinking? Prince Alec patted him. It's all going to be fine. Conrad looked utterly defeated. As long as it wasn't the peacock coat. The prince kept walking along the path of marble tiles. The one... You haven't even worn in public yet? You can print another copy, Prince Alec said airily. Princes aren't supposed to wear copies. Conrad huffed. He turned around, miming his frustration to Dana, who hid a laugh. They walked through room after room of exquisite garden art, Dana making a mental map as they went, so that she did not get lost again. Conrad stopped. The prince walked a few steps before he realised and turned back with one beautifully arched green eyebrow. Conrad. It wasn't a joke anymore, or a minor costuming inconvenience. Conrad looked like death warmed up. You removed the diamonds first, didn't you? He asked with a shudder in his voice. Before you took the peacock coat for a casual nighttime stroll in the palace gardens, you removed the twelve diamond studs loaded with the culture bank of honour, the ones your wife gave you for your birthday last month. The prince just looked at him. I'm going to be executed, Conrad whispered. They made her eyes sparkle, said the prince. You wouldn't understand. Conrad made a sputtering sound. I wanted to give Buck something nice, something important. You know she's going back to Valor, and they're never going to let us see each other again. My marriage contract lasts for eight more years. Yes, said Conrad. I know that, Highness. That's why I risked life, limb, my reputation, and my career to let you have this meeting. They looked at each other for a long time. And then the prince smiled casually and turned back towards the palace. Lala Louise has brought me many gifts over the years. I am sure she won't even notice. Conrad stayed where he was standing for a few moments later, as the prince went on without him. I should go back to barracks, Dana said awkwardly. I bet you're wishing right now I didn't overhear any of that. You're not the one I'm worried about said Conrad, and reached out to her hand. Though maybe that makes me as much of an idiot as... He stopped himself and shook his head. He's usually smarter than this, he added, plaintively. You're not seeing him at his best. 
Dana nodded. I believe you. You don't sound like you believe me. I'm trying really hard. It was obvious that Conrad cared deeply about the prince, despite the other man's idiocy. Conrad laughed. You know, if he had decided to go with her, not one of us would have had the power to stop him. Wars have been started for less, she agreed. I know it looks like Chev and I made a disaster of things tonight, but it could have been worse. Conrad groaned and buried his face in Dana's shoulder for a moment. I'm so tired. There should be a law against how tired I am. Dana patted him on the head. You should catch him up. Before he accidentally proposes to a potted plant or blurts out his night's activities to the regents over late night cocoa. Conrad laughed at her shoulder. Love makes people stupid. I wouldn't know. Dana was having a terrible urge to thread her fingers through his bright blue hair. Conrad looked up and met her gaze with his. You're young. You've got time. That would be the moment for her to tease him, who couldn't be more than a couple of years older than her, about being such an ancient married man, but Dana couldn't bring herself to make a joke about that. We're done? she asked instead. You're done, Conrad said firmly. My drama continues. If I can ever be of help again. He nodded once, then turned away to leave her, following his prince. Wait, Conrad, she called after him, feeling like an idiot. Which is the quickest way to the Mecca barracks? Conrad came back for a moment and pointed down an avenue of artifice roses, bursting out of floating teacups. Keep going down that way until you reach the glow in the dark daisy clock and take the hedge path past the seahorse spheres. They come out near the croquet lawn and there's a gate in the wall on the other side that leads directly to the east wall. She would never have found that on her own. Good night. Conrad blew her a kiss, jogging backwards along the path. You're spectacular, Dana D'Artagnan. I owe you. Dana had not stayed a night at the barracks for weeks but she had arranged to meet Planchet there once they were both done with their parts of the adventure. She found the young Engie fast asleep on her bunk, surrounded by snoring mecha cadets. The girl looked worn out, but peaceful. Dana sat on the edge of the bunk, and Planchet stirred. Did we save the day? she asked drowsily. Yes, Dana lied. That is a thing we did. Apart from being sworn to secrecy, there was no way she ever wanted Planchet to know what a massive waste of time their whole heroic mission had been. Still, the prince consort hadn't actually run away with his lover to a planet that was making rumblings about independence. That counted as a win, right? Was fun, Planchet muttered, turning over to make room for Dana. Can we do it again? Dana paused and then lay down beside her, balancing precariously on the edge of the narrow bunk. She would just close her eyes for a minute. Sure, she said. 
any time, Planchet. It's hardly worth lying down. It's not like I ever sleep on the moon, was Dana's last thought for the next twelve hours. She dreamed of flying and peacock coats that scattered diamonds through space like a pattern of falling stars. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Thank you.